0: Why am I wildly optimistic? Because I think the world is heading to blowing up institutions in this sport learning that are centralized. I think centralization is undergoing an extinction event. Uh, and I think that's a good thing for us.
1: Jack Cruz is a neurosurgeon and self-proclaimed mitochondriac, who had an awakening in 2007 when he suffered a torn meniscus in his knee at six foot two and 357 pounds. This stirred in him a deep curiosity for understanding the laws of nature and how the body works and heals. He came to find that light, magnetism, and water were non-negotiables in the medical toolbox, and that when we find ourselves estranged from nature as medicine disease ensues he ultimately concluded that modern medicine lacked a deep understanding of how humans function in relation to the natural world in part because the medical system is centralized seeking profit over people dr. Cruz has taken on a mission to create the first decentralized hospital in El Salvador where medicine is not beholden to the laws of man but rather nature El Salvador, a country on the precipice of becoming the first country to decentralize their money, making Bitcoin legal tender is where he has chosen to lay his roots. He believes that one cannot be decentralized in their medicine and not in their money. The two go hand in hand. Cruz has written extensively on the paleo diet and the gut brain access. In addition to being a neurosurgeon and author, Cruz is CEO of Cruz Longevity Center. A health and wellness company dedicated to helping patients avoid the health care burdens we typically encounter as we age. He published his first book titled Epipaleo Prescription The Prescription for Disease Reversal and Optimal Health in 2013. Some other contributions he has made are in the areas of cold thermogenesis, circa Wim Hof's work, circadian biology, and mitochondrial heteroplasmy. His East Coast no-nonsense personality is a hybrid of rough around the edges offset by a chewy center. You'll know you understand him and his heart when you can hear the compassion behind his roar. Welcome to the Mindful Medicina Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeanette DeNiels. I'm a naturopathic medical doctor on a mission to inspire a renewed confidence in the intelligence of the human body. And joining the conversation today is my friend and colleague, Janelle Hartman, lymphatic and colon hydrotherapist, esteemed yoga teacher of teachers and the co-producer of this show. Okay, hi, Dr. Jack. We (laughs) see that you're sitting on... uh, Are you sitting on the roof of your house?
0: (laughs) Uh, No, actually, I'm on the deck of my house. You're on Mm -hmm. the deck.
1: Okay, beautiful view. It's been lovely out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jack, we wanted to have you on today because um, we've been following you, and actually, you were the inspiration for our first... Uh, one of our first podcast episodes uh, back, what was that, in August yep. this year? And I came across you when I was just uh, going through some podcasts, listening to some sun episodes because we wanted our first episode to be about the sun. Uh, that was actually Janelle's idea to do an episode on the sun because of, you know, it was summer and I'm pretty obsessed about sunshine. <laughs> So I had heard your interview on Regenerative Health Podcast, and that was the first time um, that I was, I felt like I had some competition for uh, being being the biggest sun worshiper on the planet. I think you have me beat. So
0: um, You're in silent red light, so I say, yeah, I've got you.
1: <laughs> we're, we're we're and yeah, and we don't really. Uh, we're trying to figure out the headphone set too, because we know that messes with uh, melanin. Um. Anyways,
0: Oh so use them. You don't need them. You don't need them. Oh, don't. No. I what? mean, I, I just I've never understood why podcasters think that the acoustics for the audience Are somehow worth their health. I, to me, that's just a trade off that just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line is if you're interested in good information, you're not going to give a shit about the acoustics. You're not going to give a shit about the audio either, to be quite honest with you. I mean, the bottom line, when we do podcasting, it's, it's actually those for the person being interviewed and the person doing the interview. It's really about transmitting the information and letting the audience do with it what they will. I just have never understood, um, uh, the video files and the audio files, why it's such a huge, big deal to podcasters. And, you know, I, I don't think I'm ever going to get to the point where I understand their perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can tell you guys the same thing. If you're just starting out, uh, the most important thing isn't the sound quality and the video quality. The most important thing is the quality
1: of the air. do worry about that. Mm-hmm.
2: Can yeah, we, can, I, we, can we hear him speaking without these on? Let's see. We're gonna try. Will you, will uh, you speak, Dr. We speak, Doctor. We have a let's hear- podcast
1: machine that sort of. I don't think
0: don't think you'll you'll need it. I think it's probably better.
1: Can we hear him? I
0: mean, you should. I mean, if I can hear you on my computer without them, why can't you hear me on yours?
2: We mm-hmm. are yeah. we're running you through a a board called a, a Roadcaster, and so the only way that your voice comes through is through here. But I mean, I can hear you holding it like this.
1: So I can hear, hear them a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's to, up to your ear.
0: It's defeats the purpose Then I'd say, put them on, but you've got to figure out something from your IT people of how to do this, you know, without putting that, at least use air tubes instead of those damn things. Uh-huh. But it just doesn't, make sense because, you know, if you're going to do podcasts you're going to interview a whole bunch of people, this is going to be a constant source of problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't think it's a good idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, and we, we agree completely and we are looking into ways to get around this with yeah. the roadcaster. We equipment. came in yesterday. We were trying to figure it out. Actually. Like, <laughs> he's going to give us total shit about this. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're, Bottom line, <laughs> he doesn't care about your health. You, mean, you remember you're the CEO of you. You got to care about your health. I mean, that's, that's, that's really, I have to tell you, it's kind of a weird way to start a podcast, but um, it's actually good because it makes the point for the audience. When people in your life tell you that, well, you know, you need to do this, and it goes against your your directors, you tell those people to go fuck off. It's as simple as that. Like, if your boss comes in and tells you, like, my son just went through, you know, he had to work, you know, constantly through Christmas, and, you know, he's been basically here at the 13th latitude now catching up on his sleep because of the shit that he's having to deal with with his job. Mm-hmm. To me, that's, the, no job should put you at risk. Like, guess what? That's the whole problem with crony capitalism in the world. Mm-hmm. We get jobs that pay us less and less and want more and more of our time. And actually, yeah. when they, we do give them our time, they don't even value our time. You know, not, not only monetarily, but they don't value our biologic time because the way in which they ask us to do our jobs puts us at risk. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can tell you from a surgeon's perspective, if somebody was to ask me the number one reason why my lifespan as a physician, that doctors now killing themselves more than any other profession and why doctors are burning out more than any other, it is because of the way we're asked to do our job with electronic medical records, Staying up all night, not having uh, uh, proper, what I would call uh, work shift arrangements. Um, it's not my fault that the fucking hospital is set up the way it is, you know. So why should I put my health at risk for them, and then not even be compensated, you know, for the risk? I mean, to me, that's ridiculous. But guess what? You know, I guess I'm on a soapbox about with physicians, but I think every single profession out there has this some yeah. degree. And I don't think anybody should put up with it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it's throwing everybody out of their circadian rhythm. And we talk about that a lot in this uh, podcast yeah. because... I have said before that we used to be governed by the sun and its cycle, and instead we're run by technology, (laughs) or or we're governed by technology and the clock, clock in, clock out, Uh, and so that's that's something that we really value that you talk about is circadian biology, and we we really want to go into that today as well.
0: Yeah, mm -hmm. no question, but I mean ultimately. Your compliance is what allows it to happen. You have to stop complying with the paradigm. It's as simple as that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the decentralized way, right? So, oh, I mean, the way I, I
0: look at it, I think that uh, the answer is all around you. You know, trees, trees comply with nature all the time. That's why they're planted to the ground. That's why there are canopies and towards the sun you know they don't have sunglasses they don't have sunscreen um the animals that you know populate the trees they also don't have the things that humans think they don't have you know you know jobs that are dictated by technology they have jobs that are dictated by you know probably shelter food uh gathering resources in their environment um those are the things that actually matter the most. You know, when you're building your life. I can I, you know, feel in the beginning of a year when people talk about, oh, I want to make resolutions and this and that. How about you resolve to be more like a wild woman? How, how about that's the only resolution you need? Um and you know, you don't need an expert opinion to figure this out. All you have to do is put some index on your glass eyes. That's it. <laughs>
1: Yeah with um there's a lot of people that will say that they're quote unquote night night owls uh for example and I always like to say that that's because you have electricity that's not a natural state of being and um with tesla you know 125 years ago laying down the grid we see that we have abandoned nature and our biological clocks and we want to just Say that well, I'm a night owl. N- night owl, and you know, have have the boom boom as you would say at night.
0: But do you know who gave people that pass? The, the centralized biologists. The interesting thing is the centralized biologists have now even started questioning their own narratives, and they're finding out that night owls actually magically go away once you put people in nature. And you know that that those papers are constantly coming out. I actually just tweeted one out this morning. From Stanford University, you know that oh, they they, they shockingly posted in Stanford that uh, using the sun, especially sunrise, improves your sleep. Well, no shit, nature's been telling us that for 3.8 billion years. Why did we need the idiots at Stanford to tell us that?
2: Yeah, that's an you know, that's but, an that's an Ayurvedic principle. You know, in the Ayurvedic system, Dinacharya is complete harmonization to the circadian rhythm and that flow. And their entire system of medicine is
0: really based around the sun in that way. <laughs> yeah. The an ancient got it right. I mean, the story is photonics over electrons. That's really the basis of what just about every ancient civilization had. That's why most of their gods were led by the sun. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, this is not... Even, even ancient humans got the story right, but modern humans fuck it up royally. Um, And and they use all kinds of excuses, desires, wants, needs to screw it up. You know, and I don't have a problem with people who, you know, want to live their life in a centralized fashion and do the things they want to do. But don't, don't come and bother me and tell me that I'm wrong about, you know, the sun and dark cycles and and this and that when it comes to disease, because it's pretty obvious That is actually the course. But people say, well, I can't live my life like that. Okay, then just accept your disease fate and shut your pie hole. Because that's the truth.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you can see it. Uh, you don't even need cl- uh, peer-reviewed articles to see that health and disease increase with the lack of sunlight uh, moving away from the equator and or just living in higher latitudes, uh, working night shift. You, you really don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that when we well, abandon the it.
0: it. These days, because so many of the population is dumbed down and they're obedient idiots for the paradigm that you actually need to be pretty smart about. I mean, Mm. just look at the the current events. Give me an example. (laughs) I said this three years ago, but I don't think anybody listened to it. When we talk about the biggest elephant in the room uh, for public health lately has been COVID and and COVID-19. You know, it's caused by a coronavirus. We can argue all day long, whether it was created by man or not, but remember what coronavirus means. It's a virus. That is controlled by the sun. When the sun's not present, coronavirus is bad. When the sun is present, coronavirus isn't. So if you go look at some of the, uh, the experts that are on Twitter that I highlighted, this guy, Dennis Ranacourt uh, from Canada, he actually was late to the party but picked up the pulse of COVID through looking at the lens of just all-cause mortality. And one of the things that he said uh, in November of 2023, that'll show you how late to the party he was, was that all-cause mortality clearly shows that COVID really wasn't a problem. It was actually our response to the problem that was the issue. And the, one of the most brilliant things in his presentation that I was hoping the smooth brain centralized idiots out there would see is that there's a diurnal pattern to coronavirus, that all-cause mortality is highest in the winter. And lowest in the summer for humans. He actually made a comment when he gave the talk in Romania that I'm not sure why that's the case. So hard stop. Why don't I give him plus five? Because it's fucking obvious what the issue is. The sun improves longevity. Okay? And here's the other irony. He even proves or disproves his own skepticism when he also looks at the effect of latitude over his same data that within the 20s, meaning tropic, of Capricorn and cancer, you lose the all-cause mortality pulse in humans when you look at countries that are in there. So hard stop again. What, what is he saying? That people who live in the tropics actually live longer. There's no seasonal pulse. So when you take COVID through that lens, then you start to go, Well, what is it about life outside the 20s that has changed so dramatically? I don't know. Let's say the last 120 years. Turns out it's the electric power grid. It's actually technology. It's light at night. It's no sun during the day. It's actually how we live. So there is a lesson to be learned even from the COVID data. And then when you layer on all the other things through COVID, Like the guys that I respect the most, not that I don't respect, you know, Dennis, I just think he was really late to the party because he used late data. Guys like the ethical skeptic who saw the pulse in the data immediately as soon as the vaccines were rolled out, that the vaccines were killing more people than are helping. To me, that's data that a clinician needs. Remember, I'm a clinician and I'm looking for the best data out there to deliver to my patients And when I followed his work, you know, as a Navy intelligence officer, and I knew that he was picking up something in the earliest data that was a warning shot. And my preconceived notions before the vaccines ever came out, I pretty much laid it out in the documentaries that I did with McCullough and Malone. I said, look, I think. There's a problem with the MRI technology. And I think there's a problem probably with SV40 just because of what I know about vaccine history. I said, as a clinician, my duty to my patients and my audience is to say, look, we need to use a precaution. Criteria. You know, until we know better, we need to not do it. That's kind of what I just told you guys about your headphones. Mm-hmm. You know, you may not know better. <clears throat> your audio technician may not know better. But you need to use some type of precaution principle because if you're going to get into this business and do this shit every day for six, seven hours a day, you're actually just trading, you know, jumping from one fire to the next fire. And I think these kind of things, these simple kind of thinking exercises actually will help people make better decisions in the future. You know, when they come to decisions about, say, the light, the dark, where they live, what kind of job they'll take, you know what kind of compensation that they'll take for that job when they know it's more of a shift work problem and it's going to lead to bigger issues. You know, I always tell nurses this. There's a reason they pay night nurses more than day nurses. Why is it's a more dangerous job? And it's not dangerous for the patient. It's dangerous for you. And when you say that to them, they're like, but I need more money. I'm like, okay, well, you get more money, but that's because they're subtracting your time. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with that trade? Like when you break it down and you see the profit and loss statement with the respect to time, then it kind of changes the mix. And I guess what I try to tell people when it comes to public health ideas, that I think you have to come into the discussion with the realization that time is the most valuable asset you have. And how are you passing time within this public health arena? Like when we spend dollars on something from public health, it should have a good return on equity, you know, for the public health. If it doesn't, we should immediately stop and do the precaution picture. Very similar to what I told both of you at the beginning of this podcast. I don't think that's a revolutionary idea. I think it's common sense, to be quite honest with you. But it appears in a centralized world. Common sense is either abundant or popular. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, going back to the COVID shots and, and the whole, you know, first first do no harm, right? Uh, when those started rolling out, of course, my patients. Oh, I, don't,
0: I don't think that's accurate at all. I mean, I think that's the perspective you've put on it. Mm-hmm. I think parma absolutely knew they were going to do harm. I mean, we uh, saw that at mm-hmm. a Yeah. I mean, you, have to, you have to go parse out this stuff.
1: See, no, I mean... For me, as a doctor, my objective is to first do no harm, and because there was no transparencies on the shots, I couldn't say with any confidence that this was safe to do. And especially since, when you open up the box, it literally says that this page was left blank intentional, you know, intentionally uh, with respect to ingredients. And so, um, you know, the whole SV40 DNA plasmids, all that LPNs. Holy shit, you had to know that they knew what they were doing on that front.
0: Well, I mean, most people didn't know what they were doing. Most people, you know, when I started talking about this, you have to remember, I started talking about this before the vaccines were ever made. And the reason why is because I knew about the message of RNA technology and what happened. But I also knew the history that dated all the way back to Salk's vaccine. Most people in medicine don't know that story. Mm-hmm. You sit down and ask any first-year medical student, well, what's the cutter event, they look at you like you know, you just watched a cartoon. But mm-hmm. that history lesson is important. And that's one of the other things that I think is important in decentralized thinking that whoever your expert is who packs your parachute, you as the as the uh, patient have a duty to know the person that you're hiring actually knows what they're talking about. And I'm going to be honest, this is probably where I get more trouble with practitioners than anything else. I actually think that my profession um, is impotent. They're dull. They're not as good as they used to be. I remember the doctors that trained me, they were far better as a group than the doctors today. And I think... That cliche can often be used, especially by millennials, to say, oh, yeah, that's how all boomers think that the world used to be better when they were younger. When it comes to medicine, I I don't even think it's an arguable point. Um, And I, I look at it because I lived through the beginning part, like what medicine was like between the 50s and 70s. And no, they weren't infallible, just like they're not infallible now, but they absolutely uh, were more careful about the public's health than they are today. I mean, there are certain things they should have the been on, let's not lie. Water fluoridation and cigarette smoking, they were terrible at. It. Um, but when it came to drug, drug side effects, I mean, I still remember um, when we pulled the the uh, flu shots for the Gillian Beret stuff back in 76 and 80. Um, if you look at just the VARES database right now for COVID, uh, not only should we pull the shots, the shots should be actually made illegal. Mm-hmm. That's how dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this, this has gone past the point uh, of talking about this as medicine. I'm going to tell you, I think more people have been killed by the vaccine than certainly have been helped. But I actually think it's, it's fairly obvious at this point that this is a toxicity issue. And I don't, I don't want anybody to parse my words in this podcast down the pipe when you guys put it live, but every drug has a toxic profile, has a toxic side effect. Mm-hmm. But I don't know of any drugs, outside of maybe some chemotherapy agents that uh, create the toxicity and morbidity that these vaccines have caused in a short period of time. So much so, that guys like The Ethical Skeptic and Dennis Rannacourt picked it up like that. You know, the problem is when you have people pick up like that, but then they get censored and sidetracked, see, that's a problem. You know, I need those early detection people out there. I pay attention to people who I have vetted, who I know that can think well. You know, and then when you get experimental evidence that your intuition and your inclination was right, you know, for guys like Kevin McKinnon and Philip Buckholtz, you know, the, the way the system is built, the FDA and CDC should be making recommendations immediately to the president and the Congress that these things need to be pulled off the market. So far, the only doctor that I know has done that is the, the Surgeon General of Florida, and part of the reason I think that happens is because I've been sending a lot of emails and, and shit to him because I have a clinic in Florida. Um, maybe he's listening to some podcast. I don't know, but, you know, we have a duty to tell people the truth. I mean, look, the truth is often not popular. Um, but I just, I have to tell you the two big fails for me and COVID have been doctors and patients. I think patients have been apathetic and nihilistic. They haven't asked doctors and held their feet to the fire enough. And I also think that doctors have just subjugated their power, you know, to places like the CDC, the WHO, the WEF, you know, the WHO, you know, Dr. Fauci, the science. You can't do that. No, that's not being a good doctor. You know, being compliant with the paradigm is not being a good doctor. It's actually being a good employee, which is that exactly why the paradigm is built the way it's built.
2: And Dr, Dr. Cruz, there is this obsession with DNA and RNA versus what the mitochondrial model that you are a proponent of. And could you talk a, a little bit about maybe the diversion of those that, two things? And
0: That's the difference. That's the main difference. Mm-hmm. You know, I just did a podcast with a PhD researcher, Alexis Jasmine, when we got into that very issue. The person, I think, who brings this up in science better than anybody is Doug Wallace. Mm-hmm. You know, 99% of the NIH budget get spent on rna and dna why does that happen because that's a good gig for pharma see if they can keep you focused on the wrong genome you're never going to get to solve chronic diseases because that's how they make most of their money Mm -hmm. so the one that i talked with about her was the statin story. why because that's the oldest one it's the one that i think now has more holes in it you know than it supports but you still have Pretty smart clinicians, centralized clinicians like Peter Addy out there telling people, no, I advocate for standard. When LBL goes up, we need to do that. I, that's my problem with this. That even smart doctors are still, you know, making mistakes. And it's because the centralized paradigm has us looking at the wrong genome. The genome that transforms energy from the environment, you know, to ourselves, which turns on RNA and DNA, is the mitochondrial genome. Now, how that works, the centralized paradigm has no idea, but predominantly why we have no idea is because the NIH doesn't fund researchers in biophysics to figure out that through metabolism we create biophotons. The biophoton spectrum is actually what controls all the 100,000 biochemical reactions in a cell. That's the fundamentals of decentralized medicine. Um, And the problem is, I think the public gets frustrated when they hear me talk about stuff like this. And I tell them, this is what we need in decentralized medicine. We need you know, people to go out uh, and make photomultipliers at a nanoscopic level so we can see what the biophoton spectrum is in a cell so that we understand how light controls the TCA cycle, how it controls both anab- anabolic uh, pathways and catabolic pathways. So then we can begin to make sense of biochemistry because the truth is that biochemists believe that our Truth now, they're actually facades. Most of them are lies that are masquerading as truths because we don't know what the central controller is. It, it, it's very much like the situation, unfortunately, in The Wizard of Oz when, you know, the curtain's pulled back and Dorothy mm-hmm. sees that it's some old fucker, you know, controlling <laughs> the whole game. <laughs> and people don't realize that that is exactly what the difference between centralized and decentralized medicine is. It's not that I want to throw you know, centralized clinicians like Peter Addy out and all the stuff that he learned in medical school. Remember, I learned all the same shit. It's no rocket science to me. To me, it's much like circadian biology. You have to have light and dark come together to understand how biology works. But you need centralized ideas and decentralized ideas to do this too. And then you need to figure out, okay, what really makes sense and what doesn't then throw out the bad stuff and keep the good stuff. But the only way you're going to be able to do that is you have to put centralized medicine on trial for a meritocracy. And that's really, you know, what decentralized medicine is, is what I'm attempting to do in El Salvador right now. There's a a method behind my madness uh, because I've seen how healthcare has been usurped by the profiteers. And the profiteers are not going to go easy. You know, we're seeing that, you know, even on the monetary side. You see what Elizabeth Warren and BlackRock are doing now between fiat and Bitcoin. You think you think that that's not a battle royale? I got news to you. Can you imagine what's going to happen when Big Pharma gets a load of the ideas that, that I'm you know shooting to leaders in, in countries? I guarantee you, it's going to be a shit show. <laughs> but you know what? The bottom line is patients have to be activated and the CEO of their own disease. Like if, if, if patients are apathetic and nihilistic, like most, most millennials are on, on their money, I'm going to tell you, these ideas are going to die with me. I promise you they will. Um, People always think that the truth gets illuminated over time. Well, why do we have something called the Dark Ages? Because it did. not People forget that about history. And the same thing is true with medicine. And it takes people to fight against a paradigm. And then some type of disruptor from outside the paradigm destroys it completely. Like, I'm not interested, really, in propping up the system that's enriching Dr. Adia, myself, Sean Baker, any, any of those people. I want to destroy that system. Why? Because I believe the only way to find truly the meritocracy that's buried in decentralized ideas is actually to put them on trial. Same thing with the centralized. Uh, And I would say the same thing with, you know, alternative practitioners. I have as many problems with functional medicine doctors as I do with doctors. In fact, maybe more so because I think I've seen more people from functional medicine doctors spend way more money per year on nonsense testing, on bullshit diseases uh, that don't exist so that they can enrich themselves, you know, and and the amount of supplements they sell them. Mm -hmm. This is no different than being placed on a statin. I mean, at least a centralized PCP or pediatrician, they're not printing money like some of these functional medicine doctors.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: I've had patients come to my farm and tell me they spent between $100,000 and $250,000 in a year to find the truth out about the disease. If you go right now on my website, on the Optical Journal site, there's a new guy that just started posting there. He's got a very interesting condition. But by his own mission, from his own words, he spent $250,000 in the last 18 months with these practitioners. And in my view, in my world of decentralized medicine, if I was the controller of that, say, in El Salvador, those doctors would go to jail. Mm -hmm. They would be adjudicated. They would be severely penalized. Why? I think that's more egregious. Um. I don't want to say more egregious, but as egregious as some of the things that Dr. Fauci, Dr. Collins, Rachel Walensky have actually done. The difference between those three and probably the functional medicine doctors is the functional medicine guys aren't killing people where the other three are.
2: Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it comes down to outsourcing your wellness to something outside of yourself, something that is not uh, nature made. And even as a naturopathic doctor, I can see how my colleagues are over-prescribing uh, nutraceuticals and. Um, you know, you've got someone on 10 supplements uh, and, you know, your classic vitamin D supplement, which kind of drives me nuts, Um, (laughs) uh, you know, because it's hard to get any photoelectric effect from a molecule or a chemical, right? It's just not the same to take nature in parts and and thinking you're going to get the medicine out of it. But yeah, I think it's outsourcing your wellness. And that's what we do with big pharma. That's what we do with naturopaths. They're both the same. They're just giving you different
0: pill. It, hey, that's all it is. It's the same paradigm. just with, it's, it's The way I like to call it is lipstick on a pig. <laughs> but you know what the problem is? Doctors are going to continue to do it because it's successful. Why? Because they're not doctors. They don't understand how to fix themselves. Uh, and then when they, they cross a path with me, they're like, let me get this straight. I just have to go outside and be a wild human and things magically get better. And this morning on Twitter, some guy named Lou texted me. He goes, I just found two weeks ago because I put all my supplements away. I just started watching your Instagram videos every morning from El Salvador on the sun. He goes, and already I'm sleeping better. I said, oh, magically. <laughs> I, and then I, I responded to him just to be a, a little agent provocateur. I said, tell me, how much did that cost
1: yeah, people can't stand when you give them a suggestion on nature um, because there's something in some sort of sense of value if you have to pay for it. I think it's a psychological. It is, but,
0: you know, I think it's even it's even worse than that. Human nature is, it can't be that something. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, so, yeah. so I keep constantly pounding out for 20 years. Why don't I have to teach quantum mechanics to hippos and lions? Mm-hmm. Because they don't break, it, break the laws of nature. They don't yeah. have frontal lobes to do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's very simple. Yeah. And but wait, the problem wait. is you have to understand that the human silly talking monkey does not realize that their two funnel lobes are the source of most of their executive decision making deficits. It's, it's an amazing tool on the positive side. But what are we talking about now? This is the negative connotations that are associated with the ability to actually change the way you think because you can change the environment. What people don't understand when you change the environment, you actually change the epigenetic signaling of your genes. And see, that's also been buried because of guys like Dawkins, you know, who want you to believe that Darwin was 100% correct. Turns out he wasn't, and we know that implicitly from. You know, the science of epigenetics that really has taken off since 2003. But guess what? Silly talking humans are slaves to their beliefs and paradigms. That's the reason why um, they were successful evolutionary for law, because there was, you know, safety in numbers, you know, for the first two to three million years of our species. Turns out the last 10,000 years, that's no longer true. Why? Because now we've come up with ideas that we can control behavior of silly talking monkeys who refuse to
1: think. Yeah, I always say you can't heal in the same same environment that you got sick in. And that was, oh gosh, we used to do house calls, right? As doctors, and we could actually see their home environment. But yeah, looking at the environment is really truly where
0: the medicine is. um, It's um, where it starts because that's how the system is built. But I mean, just thinking about some of the bad ideas, you know, that are out there. I mean, the, the number one thing that I always like to point out to people, because people in biology don't like physics. Because physics often, you know, I tell everybody, physics is a foundational science to biology. In fact, biology is not foundational at all. Uh, Think about calories and calories out. If you know anything about calories and how calories are used in physics, if you open up any college physics textbook, what's one of the first things they say about calories? That calories can only be used as a unit of measure if the system is closed thermodynamically. Tell me what fucking part of the human system is closed thermodynamically. Mm Because it's not. So hard stop. Anybody who's talking to you about calories in, calories up. Remember, who's the number one offender of this? You know, people don't like when I point this out. It's Gary Topps. It's the reason why I never listened to him for the last 15 years. I think he's been wrong about everything. He's been wrong about things that he wrote about in physics. You know, just because of this single mistake, he's now taking other food, girl ideas and wants to fight with people about it. You have to call out his bullshit. He may be right about certain things, but the way in which he's framed the argument is completely wrong. And because of that, um, anything that he comes up with is likely to be a half truth. So you need to understand those kind of things. The same thing is true with the biochemists like Ron Patrick and Rob Wolf. They're, they have a lot of half truths that are masking around uh, mm-hmm. as truths. And you have to be willing to call that stuff out. And the way you call it out as, uh as a decentralized thinker, as you do, when you can think, realize these guys are centralized in their thought patterns, and you can easily do that. Like when you get on their Patreon, ask them questions, or get on a podcast and ask them questions, you'll find out actually how they think is really the problem. As soon as you, uh, how shall I say, assess that with your due diligence, then you, the audience, has a duty then to make a decision what you do. If you still don't think that that's a big idea, um, then you can continue on with the centralized ideas that they continue to show people. That's fine. Um, And I don't have a problem with that because I really truly believe that that's actually the way this whole expert guru system that's been built by humans needs to be um, evaluated. And I think then... Um, people, once they fail in those systems, then they come to the, the ones that I told you about. The ones that don't really cost that much money, that just cost you some time to learn how nature really works. And um, when you find out how nature really works, and then you give it a try, and you realize it's not really as far as I going then I think uh, cool things can happen. Because ultimately, where I think the return on equity comes from from decentralized medicine and mitochondrial medicine, it actually comes from making humans more productive. Um, and when humans are more productive, not because of their technologies, but because they're more productive in the way they interact with the environment, then I think we're gonna get way better ideas about how to solve some of the big problems that you know we argue about on Twitter all the time, like climate change, you know, bird you know, the Gates Foundation and Blocking the Sun and is Elon Musk right going to Mars is a good idea? You know, those kind of things. Um, and then people say, yeah, maybe, maybe this isn't a good idea. Or maybe, you know, what a, Elizabeth Warren is trying to do in helping the bankers, you know, the original people that she helped them tarp and bail out things and and not let it fail quicker than it should have. Maybe, maybe those are things that ideas that we need to take to the woodshed. Maybe. Max Planck was really right when he said that science and economics only improves one funeral at a time. You know, it sounds harsh to people, you know, when I say it. But when I give you the physical context that Max Planck said this 120 years ago, and you want to know who Max Planck stole from? Voltaire. Voltaire actually said about politicians that an occasional assassination is always a good thing. <laughs> so in other words, when you have bad ideas, you are trying to subtract the superfluous. You know, I, I look at some of the things that are going on in the country that I'm in now, in El Salvador. You know, Bukele has been held up as a dictator by the centralized access of power outside of El Salvador. And I don't think people realize that you need to be a little bit of a benevolent dictator in the beginning. Maybe you have big problems. So what do you do? There's two big problems in El Salvador were bad own brains from the gangs and then bad money. So what did he do? The first thing he did is he gave his people good money. And then the second thing he did is went after the bad hombres and magically guess what happened? Mm-hmm. The return on equity for the people in El Salvador turned out to be good. You know, who's who started that idea up fucking George Washington. He did the same thing with King George, but you know, nobody is out there from the Washington post telling us that, you know, George Washington was a bad guy for Americans. <laughs> This is the kind of bullshit that's going on right now, not only in politics, finance, but in science. And realize that science fundamentally cannot be done without money. So when I tell people that you got to fix the money to fix the science, I'm not bullshitting you. I'm telling you the truth. Mm -hmm. Money is the source of the problems in medicine. Money is the source Mm -hmm. of the problems in science. And until we get this thing fixed, we're going to keep, continue to get on Twitter and argue with each other. We're going to continue to do podcasts and argue with each other. Instead of sitting down on my couch right here in the sun, drinking you know, water, and talking about, you know, I haven't been to the doctor in 20, 25 years because this is how I live my life now.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Doctors don't want to hear mm-hmm. this that's Why? I'm trying to put them all out of business. That's the truth just not what the best return on equity is. So if you're a doctor listening to this, yeah. Your duty is to teach people how not to, use, how not to use the drugs, how to do it best, how to live 80 to 90 years around the sun, successfully navigating the sausage maker that Big Farmers created, so that you can spend more money on having a place that looks like this behind you. <laughs> Instead of the place that you have in Boston in a condominium on the nineteenth floor, sorry, wrong answer. That's why you need a stat. That's why you need
1: a car. Doctor Cruz, can you go into the phases of the sun cycle and what people are missing with starting with sunrise? Because we live in Seattle, and uh, you know what, what is this forty six latitude? I feel. So many people ask me, how are you so tan? And aren't you worried about cancer? Uh, if you could go into what we're missing.
0: But that, that question's loaded with a lot of uh, of different answers. The first thing you have to realize is the whole purpose of seeing the sunrise is is, is the default switch that allows your brain and your body to tell proper time, so that way you can infl- inform the suprachiasmatic nucleus and all the molecular plots in your body effectively what time it is, so that those 100,000 reactions that occur in every cell every second uh, are actually are yoked atomically, so that things work properly. Um, then, the second big issue is, what's the purpose of sunrise all the way to sunset, most people don't realize there's a diurnal variation of both light and temperature. It turns out the circadian mechanism only cares about light and temperature. Why? Because for 4.6 billion years, Mother Nature said those are the two best metrics to increase the periodicity of our clocks. That's why the system is built the way it is. And the third layer of complexity field is when you're within the tropics, the periodicity is very regular. That's the reason why things live longer in those areas. And as you go out of the 20s, light stability changes. So you guys live in an area that isn't light stable. How do you know that I'm right about this? Just look at your day on June 21st, where it's 12 hours of sunlight, 12 hours of darkness. And then magically, the light stability is present for you on on June 21st. But if you think about what you just passed, which was December 21st, what time did the sunrise and sunset in Seattle? Then did, did you have 12 hours of sunlight that day? Turns out you didn't. Now me to the 13th altitude, I only lost 37 minutes. So guess what? Right now, I'm not losing very much at all. And the third aspect of light stability is altitude changes. Light stability. So how can you have? Um, high latitude life. They can do that if you live at altitude. And there's parts of the world. That's the reason why the Swiss have done pretty good. It's also part of the reason why the Vikings have done pretty good. They live on volcanoes. Volcanoes give you another metric. That's another way to offset ice smoke. That's another way and the Scandinavians have figured out if they use geothermal sauna, that they can add more infrared light to their life, but they don't get exogenes from the sun. Remember what I told you, the difference is light and temperature is part of the circadian mechanism. Um, One of the most interesting things is light stability is also affected by cold thermogenesis, specifically in mammals, because of the way mammals evolved on the planet 300 million years ago. Dominantly, they evolved in the underground existence, so if they live where you guys live, that means eight, nine months out of the year, they wouldn't get any sun. So they had to have systems built into them to somehow get more energy back from the sun. Well, they did that through brown because they're under the ground. And they also put most of their melanin on the exterior of their bodies so that they could absorb any stray light that was present. That also created hair. Their hair all over the bodies so It's one of the defining features of mammals. But what is that hair filled with? Melanin. So they put all their stuff on the outside. When when you look at this from that perspective, all of a sudden, you start to realize that the whole solar cycle thing really is a story about light and temperature. And that's actually mechanistically what your clocks are all paying attention to. Now, the way in which the nuance of the clock is built, that's the thing that I think most modern humans have tripped over. That's probably my greatest contribution to the story of circadian biology because even the experts of circadian biology, they're not as nuanced as I am. Like Sachin Pat Panda, he's a great guy. He understands the basics, but he doesn't understand how the non-visual photoreceptor system basically is the second hand for the circadian clock. Deck. He has no idea how OPN 3, 4, and 5 affect, you know, the positive and negative feedback which, you know, for Mr. and Clark Hopefully, someday you will because he keeps asking pretty good questions. But the way in which she does science is very, very, very slow. Get there. The nice thing about the public is they don't have to wait for the centralized science guys to pick up on, you know, you guys can easily ask a question. Yeah, why did why did God or evolution put you know uh, a UVA detector or in our cornea or skin if it wasn't somehow important? You know, those those are like the basic questions. You can ask yourself and see those are questions that even the lions and hippos don't answer. And then you realize okay, there's a diurnal variation of light with latitude. How does this affect my biology? Means that your circadian clocks aren't as big. So the reason you need to see sunrise and sunset is because that is the default state that actually augments your brain's ability to tell time. Accurate. I maintain that the reason that neurologic systems were built to begin with, the whole purpose of the brain is actually as a timepiece. It is a time machine. Much as I've said, all that Bitcoin is also a time machine. It's a time ledger. Um, and when you begin to parse this out at its most fundamental levels, you begin to realize the reason for this goes all the way back to that funny guy with the white hair that I was talking about, Einstein, because time is relative. And what is it relative? It turns out it's relative to light and temperature. It's actually relative to a lot of things, but those two in particular, and it turns out those are the two that Mother Nature's lucky because they're the most accurate in telling time. And that's why she built an optical, lattice clock. This us. That's the reason why the ancient seer that Optical photonics is an ancient game. Electronics is the new game, and that the silly talking monkeys are popular the table. And the silly talking monkeys have no idea how the electronic game affects the optical photonic one in the visual and non-visual photoreceptor system, and that is the source of where the chronic diseases have come from over the last 150 years through our own hits. or our own device. We're the cause of our problem. And this offends people in centralized science, because they they think, because we're the last primate on the evolutionary tree, that somehow we have to be better than those of which we came from. Wrong answer. Turns out we have fucked up evolution pretty good, you know, in the last hundred and twenty years. Um, it doesn't mean that we can't write the wrong because we also have the ability to reason and change our minds about things that we once believed to be true. You know, I don't think I get an argument from most people today that sitting in a blue-lit room is not as good for you as watching the sunrise and sunset. I I think even centralized science is pretty agreeable to that. The problem is it's the nuance of how this stuff causes mitochondrial energy transformation changes, which alters RNA and DNA signaling, which ultimately gives you the phenotype of either health or disease. That's the whole decentralized loop in a nutshell and how it ties back to light stability in the solar cycles.
1: Could you go into that as it relates to this melanopsin and how it's affecting us? Well,
0: melanopsin is one of the non visual photoreceptors. Turns out it's the most prominent one in our brain, it's also the most prominent one in our blood vessels. It's also now known as one of the most prominent ones in our subcutaneous fat. Uh, It's also the one that centralized science knows the least about. Uh, I would say almost every single specialty in medicine has no earthly idea of how melanopsin is probably the key driver of most of the chronic diseases we've got. So when I say stuff like that, it sounds like hyperbole until you actually lay out the case and look at it. Um, so I constantly do that, and melanopsin um, is part of the circadian timing mechanism. What does it link to directly in the positive and negative regulators of, of uh, circadian biology? It affects the transgenerational epigenetic periodicity of BMOL, the pure um, gene. Um, it affects certilities. It affects NAD recycling. It affects everything, everything that matters. And what is it opting to do is opting to tell tissues what oxygen tensions are, the hypoxia situation is, and what type of light needs to be created in the mitochondria to run the biologic simulation. And I'm using that term on purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A non-visual photoreceptor system is the the that tells your cells what simulation program it should run to survive. That's actually how this works. And melanopsin is a key cog in that story. It's not the only cog, you know, we have neuropsin and we have rhodopsin and the others. But understanding how the non-visual photoreceptor system uh, affects biophoton creation is probably the Rosetta Stone of decentralizments.
1: hmm hmm Yeah, and I, uh, you go into gyms these days, and there's 30 televisions, just a bunch of blue light.
0: Everybody thinks that this is the best place to be. All you have to do is listen to audience. That's what I'm telling you, That's what I said. You have to caution people about those kind of things. There's, a, there's so many different collateral effects that are linked to this, <laughs> That, I mean, I can talk about it at I most. Mean, if you think you know, adding muscle mass and a you know, the gym as a good thing to do, you're not going to live as long as you would if you did the same exact activity out in the sun. And the corollary to that is if you ate, just say, a carnivore diet uh, inside in an apartment in Toronto, but then you did the same diet, say, in El Salvador, you would see that be different results. And you're never going to see these results randomized control clinical trials and nutrition and food. Why? Because there's no light controls anywhere. There's not one nutritional study that's done on light controls. But how do you know Uncle Jack's right about this? Two, two ways. The first original food bureau was probably Weston A. Price. Weston A. Price looked at people in their native environments and saw they eat. took pictures of them and noticed they always eating outside. He never really made the link between photosynthesis and the food web, that mistake has been made by his foundation because he's dead now, uh, which is the Rossmane Price Foundation. I think I was the first person that pointed it out to them in 2016 in my Vermont talk. This has been the source of my ire with the food gurus ever since. Why Because photosynthesis is the basis of all food webs? That's axiomatic truth of decentralized medicine that not even Rob Wolf, Mark Sisson, Dave Asprey, or any of them can argue with. But guess what? The arguments that they continue to make with me come from not admitting that falsehood. Okay? And once you understand that photosynthesis is the the basic part of the food web, then when I tell you that food basically is an electromagnetic barcode, that the brain and your mitochondria use to understand where the sun is in relation to the earth and where you are on the earth, the actual GPS location. Then you, when you think about it from that standpoint, my argument starts to sound a lot more like the Garmin GPS GPS device. And that's exactly what I've told you. That's exactly what it is. It's the reason why you need to understand Einstein's relativity. It's the reason why clocks run faster for GPS devices higher up so that we can get to the grocery store down here on the surface. That's why this clock in your eye has to run faster than molecular clocks in your body. But people don't understand that the fidelity of our system is that sensitive. So that when you go to the blue gym or you eat the banana after you do your exercises, that those two things... Actually, decrease the periodicity of your clock genes and change the phenotype you're gonna get. You may still get hypertrophy muscle, but it doesn't mean you're gonna live long. Last time I checked, hypoxia is really not a good thing for things built with mitochondria. (laughs) Maybe that's the reason why humans die from brain and heart disease more than anything else, because that's where their mitochondria are buried.
1: We know that melanin is a battery bank and a semiconductor. Could you go into the importance and the value of melanin? Uh, most people think of it as just something that gives us a nice little tan. Can you talk about that and its benefit as an energy being?
0: Yeah. I the first battery life was really water. Um, melanin was an evolutionary adaptation that life began to use later. And it's pretty simple. It builds on the last concept I just gave you. You have to know something about photosynthesis. The first step in photosynthesis, sunlight charge separates water into hydrogen and electron. Uh, I should say hydrogen and oxygen, and creates two electrons. That's the original battery. That's the uh, electromagnetic capacitor of sunlight that builds food. What melanin effectively did is it created a better battery for cells inside and on the outside of them. Because when it charge separates water into hydrogen and oxygen, it makes four electrons. And if you know anything about that funny guy from Switzerland, Einstein, he talked you about something called the photoelectric effect. If you have four electrons versus two, you have a better battery when it comes to light. Turns out the battery is better. So if your battery is better on four electrons, can you build complexity? The answer is yes. Do we have proof in that concept? Yeah, it's called the Cambrian Explosion. And it appears for 3.8 billion years, life used very simple batteries, kind of like those around chlorophyll, hemoglobin, and water. Life was relatively simple in two domains of life. And all of a sudden, about 650 million years ago, things exploded into 32 phyla. When it exploded into 32 phyla, My contention is Mother Nature gave cells the ability to self-organize much better because of the battery in melanin, because of the better battery in in water, and also through her atomic molecular organization inside of cells. That's when we went uh, from prokaryotes and archaea to a eukaryotic design. And the eukaryotic design basically increased cell membranes and increased our ability to create more water. And then uh, we got the ability to create more complex chemicals inside that allowed us to make more electricity. And when the power plant inside cells grew, life became more complex. Yeah,
1: so what we're getting from melanin is intracellular water and light. Is that correct? Well,
0: you get a lot more than that. You're getting four electrons. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing. Got it. And you're getting a humongous support of hydrogen H plus to run your hydrogen fuel batteries, which are called mitochondria. Mm-hmm. What I tell you that the amount of hydrogen that melanin creates is exponentially more than what chlorophyll does. It's not even close. Um, and when you understand why, the, the major fuel source for mitochondria is H+. Most food gurus think that we just strip out uh, H+, from the 3D hydrogenases that are present, you know, in some of the biochemical pathways. This is the reason why I laugh at their foolishness. They don't understand how this is going. And they also have never actually looked at electron microscopes you know, in cells and realize why Why is evolution or God put all the melanin really so close to most of the mitochondria? It's because of the hydrogen source. It's obvious. Uh, The electrons can move through the system easily because that's what they do in semiconductors, but they have to be excited by light. And it turns out what excites the electrons that are created from the disruption of, of water by melanin inside, it's the light that the mitochondria makes. When you start to see this loop, it's a perfect decentralized loop. It's no different than the loop that started between the sun, the earth, and archaea and bacteria cells 3.8 billion years ago on the surface of the planet. Now we've just become masters of how to use some of these uh, basic ideas in physics to put it together. It's all about the organization and, and how things go. And the funniest part of the whole melanin story is today condensed matter physicists who study melanin know that it's actually better than graphene. They have no earthly idea how it works because the techniques that they use to study semiconductors don't work on melanin because of how densely packed the structure is. So this will show you how rudimentary our understanding of melanin really is. And do I fully expect before I'm dead or maybe in the next generation that we're going to find out some really interesting new novel things that melanin does that we haven't thought about yet and how it power cells. The answer is yes. I think there's a lot more magic. Yeah.
1: And we can see that you're around what a Fitzpatrick one, right? And you have built this solar callus to be able to receive the medicine from the sun. Can you give us a, um, Give us us the story of how how that works. How do we build a solar callus so that we can actually ascertain more melanin?
0: I mean, I kind of answered that question for you earlier, but Mm -hmm. just didn't give you all the details. Remember that silly talking monkeys innovated around the East African Rift about two to four million years ago. Those silly talking (laughs) monkeys were brown. They had hair all over their bodies. Uh, We also established from uh, Dennis Rannick's work that all-cause mortality is reduced in equatorial zones. Well, that means that nature is telling us that you need melanin to either protect or extend your life when you live in those zones. And then when we migrated through water pathways from the East African Rift to, say, where you live in Seattle, or say, where people are in Ukraine, or people are in the U.K., We lost melanin in our outside, uh, and we started to suck it on the inside. And the reason that we started to do that had to do a lot with the change in temperature, more so even than the light. Um, Why we began to get a change in our biology where we could create light uh, through the inner workings of the way mammals were built. Remember, we've only been here two to four million years. Uh, mammals have been on the planet for 300 million years and they came here from amphibians and there is an accessory pathway of light creation inside of us. That's why every mammal has the mammalian dive reflex. It's also the reason why mammals respond to cold temperatures the way in which they do. Um, Every human responds the same way but uh, the effect is changed by the mitochondrial haplotype. So again, we're back to that story Mm -hmm when you have a tightly coupled haplotype, which is in the East African Rift Zone, it always marries up to darker melanin on your skin. And the converse of that is true, that when you live in Seattle or you live in, say, the UK, you are going to lose your melanin and your haplotype isn't going to be L0, 1, 2, or 3. It's going to be like H3 or K or some other uncoupled haplotype because it turns out that you're going to use a lot of temperature to drive your optical lattice networks in your body. Now, the problem for modern humans after they left the East African Rift Zone. Now they invented down coats and sunglasses and clothing and animal skins, and they started to live inside in caves. Were they subject to the cold temperatures anymore? And what effects did that have collaterally on their biology? I, I, I. Uh, Postulate to you that's the reason why they started to get ALS and MS and diabetes Mm -hmm. because they started to interrupt that other program that's built into your solar callus. As we migrate, we change our surface. The surface then changes the biochemistry inside of us. But what happens when we change that surface when we're at high latitudes and we no no longer experience cold temperatures and the light still sucks? Mm -hmm. They analyze the problem. And people don't realize that uh, the reason why you start to lose melanin on your skin and in your eyes, why blue eyes are more prominent in Scandinavian people and people that live at high latitudes, is because it makes you more sensitive to poor light. Um, It also means you become more resistant to cold temperatures. People don't seem to know that. But the proof of that was found in the Korean War when we put black soldiers from the South who were stolen from Africa by slave traders in the Korean War. And when we put them in the Korean War, it's snow. Most of those African-American soldiers got frostbite faster than the Northern European soldiers that came over on the Mayflower. And the reason for that is actually not a racial It's a biological one. It's a quantum biological one because of how melanin on the surface and the interiors react differently. Um, that story has still never been told properly, as far as I'm concerned, uh, in a decentralized medicine platform. But it explains the reason why humans have always maintained their ability to develop their solar counts. Do so I believe that we eventually could take a person, let's say from the 63rd latitude, make them live in equatorial Africa long enough that they will develop, you know, really, really tan skin? They're never, ever going to get as dark as somebody from Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, unless we do it over multiple generations, but will that person get a tan? Well, I happen to be one of those people from the 59th latitude, who now is at the 13th latitude. And I don't seem to be having a big problem navigating 12 hours of sunlight every day. So the program is built into you for you to readapt and what I like to call thermal. Plasticize your biochemistry. You have the ability, if you're an uncoupled haplotype, to both work in sunlight and cold temperatures. Uh, the people who are, who are less adaptable are the people who live in equatorial environments who have dark skin. They tend not to do well with cold temperatures until they lose the melanin on their surfaces. And that may begin to explain maybe why. You know, Some people get vitiligo. Um, it actually may be a circadian based disease, and that's not something that modern dermatology talks about. Uh, but that is the science that's very deep in why we have a solar callus and why it's highly adaptable. Because we adapt to both light and temperature environments. That's the reason why.
1: And what do you make of the VDR defect that people talk about when it comes to methylation? Do you think that was an advantage uh, or an evolutionary benefit? To the story I just told mm-hmm.
0: That's why it's there. I mean, remember, if you have, you have uh, the ability to change your services and change your biochemistry, why the hell wouldn't you have the, the, the plasticity to do it to your snips and saps? Of course it's there. But, you know, the functional medicine guys have totally ruined that science.
1: So if somebody has a VDR, uh, let's say homozygous, quote unquote, defect, is it actually a defect?
0: (laughs) No, it may not be. It means that they probably should live in a more tropical environment than Mm -hmm. the one they're in. Uh, That's the way to fix the problem. Um, The interesting thing is why did they eventually get that so-called defect? Is because they likely from their mitochondrial inheritance patterns moved from a tropical to a high latitude environment. Most of the people that have those type of defects are usually Northern Europeans that go on to develop, you know, huge problems with methylation. And this gets back to my original point that I made to you. People that have problems with methylation, but they need to understand, what is that a synonym for? It goes back to Dennis Rannacourt's, you know, original idea in the November 18th, 2023, talk to did in Romania about a COVID. People that live inside the tropics live longer. People that live outside the tropics don't, and don't you think that your VDRs are opting and changing so that you can live longer than not? The answer is yes. You are your your cells are self organized to be highly adaptable for survival. But ultimately, what do we know? You know from you know Dennis, uh, not Dennis, but uh, Doug Wallace's work that. The first law of conservation is built into the whole system. Energy can't be created or destroyed. It's a zero-sum game. So when you understand that it's a zero-sum game and every decade we lose 10% of energy, all of a sudden it begins to make some sense now. You know, why people who are melanated who live in the tropics do better than people who are not? There's no mystery behind this. Now, many people hear me say this and they're like, I didn't understand how all these things fit together. I'm like, hard stop. That's fair. I'm going to allow you to shit the bed on them. But you have to realize all these other people that you're paying all this money to, they've learned the same data that I have. They just haven't connected the dots the way I've connected. And I can constantly explain to you why things begin to make sense between chronic and acute diseases. But remember, what's our big problem in centralized health care? Nobody else can. That's why more humans are running around with those diseases, and they seem for a spot. fundamentally none of them realize they're tied to light and temperature cycles. They're not tied to really anything else, mm-hmm,
1: because everything Especially is yeah, everything tied is to RNA and DNA. Yes. Very- yeah, that's what I was going to say is that this is, this is getting down to the basics of mitochondrial dysfunction, even going all the way back to the beginning of the conversation with the COVID shots, how all of this is affecting those energy cells.
0: Of course. I mean, there's no question about it. But the thing is, nobody wants to have these discussions because remember, they don't fit the paradigm that uh, centralized science has built over the last, you know, I would submit 2,000 years but I think it's really been polluted, probably the last 125, 130. But rest assured, the profiteers understand how to manipulate the system. That's the reason why they use methodologies in randomized control clinical trials to get the results they want. You know, (laughs) know, excuse me. So people like Rob Wolf and Mark Sisson and Dave Astry continue to believe as they do. And then they parrot the message. Basically what they are is pigeons for the centralized paradigm. That's that's the thing I'm trying to point out to people. And I, I think it's incumbent on people that hear my message that you can fact-check me. Go go see if I'm my thinking about this is incorrect. You know, I feel very comfortable in my skin because if I'm wrong, I think Einstein's wrong. I think Feynman's wrong. I think quantum theory is wrong. And so far, quantum theory has been tested more times than anything in biochemistry. It's never been shown to be incorrect. It's the way nature works. Nothing is based on cause and effect. Everything is probabilities. But remember, I always like to point this this, uh, sad but true thing out. You'll have so many people in biology tell you on Instagram, Twitter, or anywhere else, oh, that's correlation and not causation. Well, you can only have correlation when the world is built with time relativity. Mm-hmm. That's a hard stop. Um, Newtonian world is was ended in 1905. But guess what? Every single study in centralized medicine is based on the idea that a randomized control clinical trial that shows cause and effect is somehow great. And that is an absolute fact. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is sit down with any physicist and ask him what I just said. Is true. It's the same story that I gave you before about calories. This is why I'm trying to explain to you that biology is not a foundational science. Physics, biophysics, is the foundations of biology. And until that message resonates heavily in ivory towers of academia, you will continue to be lied to by people.
1: I always say that... Science is slow and nature is fast. And it takes us a long time sometimes to really see what's right in front of us. And I think you do the best job at seeing nature faster than anyone. No,
0: I don't think I see it faster. I just think that through my failures as a centralized doctor, I was more curious to why the failures were happening. And to be honest, truth is that I'm just a better observer than most of those other people. I actually look around and try to make sense of the world around me, but with a different perspective. My perspective is a decentralized. Mm -hmm. My perspective is I don't look inside the defect, the the defect inside of my patients. I first start to look what's the defect in their environment, because I know the environment is what controls their genome, what controls their SNPs, what controls their SAHPs. It's actually what controls their biochemistry. Uh, And when you have that perspective, then my job becomes really easy. The problem is, is getting centralized clinicians and scientists and patients to understand that perspective.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I have a hard time with that. Uh, that that's it's been a, it's been a bit of a stressful journey for me as a naturopath here in Seattle, uh, especially in the last well, just let's just say since COVID, and feeling that even with the naturopathic doctors, I I feel a little bit disenchanted with how things have run out, um, how they've handled the quote unquote pandemic, and just feeling that I was cuckoo for cocoa puffs for asking the questions that needed to be answered in the last three years. And um, I really appreciate
0: you. Don't worry about that. I'm being honest with you. Remember, the pioneers are always the ones with the arrows in their back. (laughs) And if you worry about what people think about you, you've already lost the bat. Um, The bottom line is when you know that you have the truth and nature is the source code, Of the mana that sells new, you just need to be consistent in your messaging and know as a visionary uh, that with time it will be proven that all the other idiots out there are are worshiping false gods. Mm -hmm. That's the way way I do it. I mean, look, I used to be one of those people that worshiped the false gods that actually thought that diet exercise, you know, were the be all end all, that biochemistry was a foundational science. You know, it took a lot of failure for me to get to that point. Uh, The difference is, is once once you come on to the truth, you persist and you you become a real problem for the smooth brain thinkers. You keep pointing out all the incongruities and paradoxes that their thinking does to the audience. And guess what? You'll find out that eventually... There'll be a group of silly talking monkeys after they've tried all the centralized bullshit that says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try to be aligned in pimple for a change and see how it works.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, <laughs> I've definitely scared some, some patients in the last three years with my angle and my perspective. But as you, as you know, you just have to persist because you have to live with your integrity intact. And, uh, and
0: I, it may not just be people that that are gonna be helped. Remember, that's the other that's the other crazy part of decentralized medicine. I've said this on a couple of podcasts, but I don't think I've have really explored it because I think people are afraid of this idea. That in a decentralized medicine framework, there's gonna be certain people that walk into your practice that you actually have to shake their hand and say no to. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I just I just went through this when I was on California Los Angeles. You know, I, I dealt with something pretty specific that I've actually told a little bit of the story to other podcasters, but I also told it to my members, that when you come across a person, um, no matter who it is, and you know that you can't help them, the only fault that I make for the decentralized clinician is if you continue to take their money and waste your time with that person, you'll pay a collateral uh, effect and so will they. You know, when I dealt with that on L.A., um, not that long ago, I actually told somebody who asked for my help who said that they couldn't do that. I said, okay, great. I'm out. And they looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> They're like, what do you mean? You're turning down money for me that I'm willing to pay you because I'm at the end of my life and I need help. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not going down with this shit. Uh, you know, people don't realize that doctors get tethered to their patients. And if the patients don't listen, then you have a duty Disconnect yourself from those people. This is the reason why doctors are actually, I think, dying and burning out at record rates. It's because the people they work for are killing them and some of their patients are killing. Why? Because in a centralized system, you're forced to work with people you shouldn't work with.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it makes no sense to be a decentralized clinician and have centralized patients. Mm-hmm. I, 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 why I'm grateful for people like Peter Addy and Sean Bacon. I actually need them. I need them to take care of the the humans that are never going to get this watch. Because I understand what nature tells me. Not all humans are going to get the same outcome. Not everybody gets a health care trophy. That's why we have extinction events. That's why we have diseases. But you have to be okay as the doctor to understand that. Not everybody can be helped.
1: Do you have any advice for dealing with the moral trauma of the uh, physicians when they wake up?
0: Explain. Because I, 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 before I answer this, I almost disagree with the premise. Mm-hmm. There is no moral trauma. Yeah, love it. I want, I want you to tell me what you mean by asking this question.
1: Let's have, have yep.
2: Dr. Cruz, it's just uh, a lot of people feel when they have another body of information come in that washes away like their previous premise them, that they may reflect on people that they um, in that light have led astray. Um, and it's really it's so that's what I mean by by moral trauma is just like um, turning and moving forward have, with better I information. I
0: mean, it's, that's the way you want to go. I knew prior to 40 years old, I hurt most of my patients. And now, since then, I don't. Am I bummed out by that? No, because guess what? Humans are allowed to change their mind. You know, there's a famous Led Zeppelin song that has a line in it that's probably one of my favorite lines. It's There's still time to change the road trip. You know, the reason that I don't get a, totally upset with Peter Adia, even though I disagree with a lot of what he says, he's a young guy. He still has time to change the road he's Rick is his friend. Rick is still trying to help him. Um, I look at Paul Saladino, another perfect example. He got famous and wealthy. Remember, he's a psychiatrist. He wrote a carnivore book and got fabulously wealthy from that, got fabulously famous, then he started eating honey and fruit. You know, literally in a year. And completely changed his own paradigm. But what did he do? He actually moved to Costa Rica. And he's in the process right now because I've had a couple of minions at my house talk to me. He's starting to realize it. Maybe not about the carbohydrates and the, the raw honey that it actually made me about the light because mm-hmm. you know the light is pretty powerful on biology. So if I didn't have the attitude that I just gave you about why I think this moral trauma thing is a bunch of bullshit, um, I think humans we have the ability to change our mind. Like that's how we learn best. We learn best from failure. And if you're going to penalize yourself for making mistakes, you're never going to make mistakes. Mm. And honestly, I just told people on Instagram, I think a couple of days ago, I said, if there's one thing that I want you to do in 2024 is make more mistakes. Yes. Why? Because yes. that's the fastest way for you to get on the right track.
1: Hell yes. Mm-hmm.
0: So the call trauma thing, no, I, I reject the premise of the
1: question. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Dr. Cruz, can you tell us about this amazing decentralized hospital that you are building over in sunny El Salvador? What does that look like? How Uh, is that going to be different than a hospital here in the U.S.?
0: It's going to be based on meritocracy. We're going to take the crazy ideas of allopathic medicine, decentralized medicine, shamanism, physical therapy, chiropractic care, uh, homeopathy. What other do this. <laughs> there? Uh, ayahuasca. Uh, the use of for mental disorders. Like uh, you name anything you want to name, and down here you're going to have the chance to find the, the merits very quickly. In other words, we're going to we're going to look at all those things through a scientific lens, and I think it's only going to take about 25 years. To figure out what's good and bad and then we want to marry the concepts of both centralization and decentralization into one concept and that's what the public health is going to be built on in El Salvador and then we'll be able to run an experiment much like they've done in Sweden where we can use these health metrics over the next hundred years to compare events against the, war, um, the return on equity let's say in France, in the United States or in Louisiana or in Florida or in Seattle. like when the public health experts in those places come out, we can turn around and say, well, this is our experience here. Um, Right now, we don't have a health system anywhere in the world built like that. I've proposed this system to the people that are in power in El Salvador over a period of time because the people in power in El Salvador, uh, to be quite frank with you, um, they were let down by my health profession. You want to know the truth? the health ministry in this country, had the opportunity to inform the politicians. And it wasn't because the politicians were assholes down here. It's they're not scientists. And they were told we should follow the World Health Organization's ideas around COVID. And then magically, some of the leaders down here, specifically President Buchelli, looked at my Twitter feed, I think three years ago, two years ago, one year ago, and when he began to see that there was problems with the vaccination, like immediately afterwards, and he began to look at the tweets that uh, I was sending out, uh, he looked at the documentary that I did. He looked at the data that I was reposting from The Ethical Skeptic, and, and Dennis ran and, Finally, he reached out to me and said, why is it that this guy on Twitter seems to know all this stuff? And my health experts don't. No one's actually brought this up to me before we had to make a decision on COVID. And that's when I had to have a discussion with him about what's the difference between centralized medicine and decentralized medicine. And then when he asked me, well, how come most of the doctors that talk like you are getting censored on social media and you're not? Well, most people don't know this, but one of my good friends is actually Jack Dorsey. He owns Twitter, And there was no chance that I was going to get people out there. Uh why because Jackson might have contract as well. He lives the lifestyle that I espouse. He's decentralized not only in his money, but in his biology. So he, he protected me and allowed me to say the things that needed to be said. And you know, I, I view the consequences of what may happen in El Salvador through this lens. So if it wasn't for my decentralized patients and friends. This message would never have gone out. I look at COVID as a huge opportunity, mm-hmm. but I think it it also just what I said to you earlier about how you have to evaluate patients when they come in. When a politician is willing to sit down and talk to you about these ideas, what do you think that says about that politician? Are they open-minded? Is is, is President Kelly worried about the mistakes that he made because his health ministry gave him bad advice? No. The the great part of leadership is that when you make a mistake, you you turn around and make the right decision. You do things that need to be done to protect the public. I would I would surface say, has, has Donald Trump done that? Has uh, President Biden done that? The answer is no. Now, one of the guys running for president of the United States, did he do that? Did he sit down with me and Rick and talk about this very issue? The answer is he did. Did I share things with him offline that... I shared with Bu Kelly. The answer is yes, I did. Why? Because if he has the opportunity to lead this country, I'd like him to know what decentralized medicine really is, not what the centralized experts tell him. I want him to hear it from the source code. <clears throat> and one of the things I know that Bobby Kennedy is, is pretty passionate about is he wants to solve the chronic disease. Epidemic. His ideas around where they came from are not, I'd say hundred percent congruent with mine, but I can tell you they're more congruent than President Trump or Biden. That's for sure. Uh, and not only that, uh, Bobby Kennedy is also for Bitcoin. So that tells you one of my key metrics that I said to both of you earlier, that he thinks through the decentralized mindset. Mm-hmm. So do I think that his leadership skills will mimic, you know, some of the things that I think I've seen with the Bukele administration. I think so. Um, and just be, be I want to be clear here. It doesn't mean I'm giving my stamp of approval for either um, or any politician. I think I'm about giving politicians rope until they hang themselves. Mm-hmm. And right now, these two gentlemen are actually acting for the public's good. I have not seen anything that they've done that's actually harming the public. Um, they're returning freedoms back to people Generally that's something politicians never do I can tell you Elizabeth Warren's not doing that huh? President Biden's not doing that uh, I don't think even Trump did it um, I think Trump did help you know, With his Supreme Court picks But there was a lot of things that Trump did That you know actually harmed the public And, and he has not given us any apology. You know, he's doubled and tripled down on Operation Warp speed. Uh, I have a problem with it. That means that he hasn't learned from his mistakes. So, ultimately, I'm telling you how I think about it. I'm not telling you how you think about it. You have to decide that for yourself. You know, on Election Day, I think one of the cool things is, you know, today is January 7th. We have an election here in El Salvador on February 4th. So we're less than 30 days away on the re-election of health, I'm going to tell you, both of you, that my discussions about the health care system here and how the future may be built, look at the results of that election and then tell me if you think that his people have given him a mandate um, and how that he's you know, moving forward with them. Do they feel like he's moving in the right direction or the wrong direction? We just saw that a month ago in Argentina. 60 years of communism was rejected in a landslide election of another guy who's very similar to Bukele and very similar to Bobby Kennedy. Not identical, but similar in a lot of respects. More decentralized than any centralized politician. Out there. Why am I wildly optimistic? Because I think the world is heading to blowing up institutions in this book learning that are centralized. I think centralization is undergoing an extinction event, uh, and I think that's a good thing for us.
1: Yes, absolutely, um, and we definitely are so inspired by what you're doing out there because we think this is the way. And, like you said, uh, Darwin had it wrong. And it's not the str- uh, strongest uh, that will survive, but the smartest. And and we feel you have your finger on the pulse of of what needs to happen. And you have our vote uh, for whatever that means to you. We, we really love and appreciate you so much, uh, Dr. Cruz. Thank you so That's much. Fine. I those comments. Yeah. We hope to visit you. Um, we're not just hope. We will be visiting you out there because we both have skin in the game, as you would say. And uh, yeah, we just love you and, and take care of yourself. And we really hope that you would honor us and, and come on again uh, for a part two. Sure,
0: no problem.
1: Enjoy the sun and have a good time with your uh, son.
0: <laughs>
1: take care.
2: Take care.
1: Thanks, bye Dr. Bye. Thanks, Dr. Cruz. hope this conversation has empowered you remember you are unique and you are a miracle your body doesn't make mistakes it responds perfectly to an imperfect environment until next time go get that life